please welcome our favorite senior pastor, Greg Boyd. Who's behind this? They didn't do that the first two services, so that's... Uh, <clears throat> That's what I'm talking about. I mean, a, a nice intro like that. That's good. I was hoping for the, like, Tonight Show music, but that's even a little better. Greg Boy. So, thank you. Probably Janice, maybe Fritz. Somebody's behind this. I'll find out later. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Greg Boyd, your favorite senior pastor. Ah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hey, I, uh, for what it's worth, uh, turned 52 last week. <laughs> Still got it in me, though. 52 going on. 17. All right. Got the verb. Um, hey, uh, just a little word on those service opportunities. You know, the food drive thing. And then uh, focus group doing some service. And by the way, outstanding job signing up for the August uh, homeless shelter overflow thing that we're going to be doing here. We're turning the church into a homeless shelter throughout the month of August. And you guys just responded and filled up all the slots, and that was fantastic. I just appreciate it. But, you know, this is what the kingdom's all about. You know, right now, as some of you know, there's all sorts of controversial budget cutting going on. And uh, Tim Pawlenty's got to make some tough decisions on cutting things, and no one's ever happy with this. And we can all moan and groan about this or that and, you know, various social services being cut. And, you know, it's, it's not a pleasant thing, however you cut it. But see, here's the thing. We can sit around here with our superior wisdom and knowledge and, and, and gripe about what should or should not be cut. Or we can just go out and do what the church is supposed to be doing all along anyways. Amen? And yes. And so we take responsibility to do whatever we can do to stock the food shelves and uh, to serve the homeless and, and things of that sort. So uh, just step up to the plate. I encourage you at the end of the service to pick up a bag, go out and get a bunch of groceries. It, 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 believe me, whoever eats that food is going to need it probably more than you do. And uh, bring in the bags. You see all the bags that are out there now? Let's double that by next week and, and, and really stock the, the, the food shelves. Excellent. Well, we have been talking about um, a topic that has been weird to some people. I got that. I expected that. Because we've been talking about the imagination. And uh, it's just one of those weird quirks of history that though the imagination has played a big role throughout church history, modern forms of Christianity, especially modern conservative evangelical Christianity, talks very little about the imagination. In fact, tends to be a little paranoid about the imagination, which is tragic because imagination drives everything. So we've been talking about this in this Animate series uh, that ended two weeks ago. And then last week I dealt with a few questions that arose throughout the series. And this week I want to uh, wrap this whole thing up by talking about three more questions. Okay, so we are, I, I am going to resist my strong compulsive tendencies and end this series uh, today. And move on to my other compulsive thing, which is the book of Luke. So those of you who are going through Luke and withdrawals, uh, know that next week we'll get back into the book of Luke, chapter 18, and things of that sort. But there's three more questions I want to address that provide good teaching opportunities uh, to bring closure maybe on some things that need some closing. Most of these came out of the animate, uh, the bridge that we had on the internet. We still have that going, by the way. Uh, it's no longer about the Animate series, but it's the bridge for all you podrishioners and anyone else who wants to get online and ask questions and things. Uh, others of the questions came through emails. We can't deal with most of them, but we want to deal with a couple of them. So we're entitling this message, Final Questions. Final Questions. And we'll deal with three, uh, starting with the quickest, going to the longest. Before I do that, join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for every person who is in this auditorium this morning and Every person who is going to be listening through podcasts, everybody who's listening on t television, on any other means, Lord, CD, we, we just thank you for them and that, that we have a, the privilege of pouring into their lives. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will anoint this word and make it uh, effective and powerful to the building of your kingdom in each of our hearts, in each of our minds, in each of our lives. Change us. Collapse anything in our mind that is not of you. Strongholds that are maybe there that blockade the fullness of your 
truth and power coming into our life and free us to use our heart, our mind, our imagination, our, our strength, our calling, our gifts to further advance your kingdom of love in this world that so desperately needs it. Come Holy Spirit, land on us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Excellent. Question number one. Imaginative prayer concerns me, several people said. Not nearly as many as I thought, however. I thought we'd have more fires to put out than we did. Uh, so that, 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 was, that was good. But we still have to address this. Imaginative prayer concerns me. Isn't it dangerous, someone said, to open yourself up to the spiritual realm? We live in this physical realm. What we see, what we experience is basically the physical material world. But all around us, of course, is another realm that is invisible, that is not physical, at least not in the way that we can measure and sense in a physical way. It's a spiritual realm. And the spiritual realm, of course, includes God. It includes the devil. It includes good angels. It includes bad angels. It includes demons. All around us, we are, the cosmos is populated with spirit agents. And so we call that the spiritual realm, the spirit realm. And this person's concern, and it's a, a, a phobia that is unique to modern Western conservative Christianity, but it's strong within that realm, modern conservative Christianity. It's a phobia about ever surrendering your mind to anything other than yourself. The idea here is that if you aren't controlling every one of your thoughts, it's a very rationalist perspective, really, but the idea is that if you're not controlling every one of your thoughts, well then, and you open it up, as we've been encouraging people to do throughout this animate series, and, and you say, you know, Holy Spirit, come and, and, and make Jesus real to me and make the things of God real, make my prayer life real, make spiritual truths real. If you do that, this person's concern is that you're opening the floodgates for maybe demonic things to get in there. If you surrender your mind, well, then how do you know what's going to come in? That's what the question is all about. I want to start by affirming the question and even expressing some sympathy towards this question. Uh, there, there is a spirit realm all around us. And in contrast to a lot of the sort of fluffy new age stuff that you hear today, not everything in that spirit realm is nice. Not everything in that spirit realm is, it has your best interest in heart. There's evil in this world. We're caught in the war zone. There's a lot of evil stuff out there. Which is why we have to pay close attention to biblical instruction about how and when we access the spirit realm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the Bible, for example, forbids divination. Divination is whenever we're trying to divine, get divine knowledge about the future, whether it's through tea leaf reading or palm reading or, or whatever, you're trying to get secret knowledge about the future. The Bible forbids that. Now, most of it is, I think, just flaky anyways, but to the extent that it's genuine, that it's actually tapping into something real in the spiritual realm, well, you don't know what you're dialing up. It is dangerous. You're going outside the parameters of biblical teaching or astrology like horoscopes zodiacs i'm a gemini by the way <laughs> but who cares about that no nah, don't don't get me going on that yes if there's any truth to that don't you think people who are born in june gemini would have tend to have the same things happening to them like when you read in the horoscopes it's just silliness but but the the, the more important point is that the bible forbids dabbling in that or, or, or mediumships where you're trying to contact the dead. Or even initiating conversations with angels. When you're trying to dial up an angel, you got all sorts of books out there now. How to find your personal angel. Well, you know, if an angel comes to you and starts talking, that's one thing. You have precedent for responding in the Bible. But nowhere do you have any precedent or encouragement. You have warnings about you trying to initiate the conversation. We're supposed to deal directly with our Lord and Creator, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's, he's our, he's our go-to guy in the spirit realm. And so I want to affirm that there is a valid, legitimate danger that tends to be minimized today about accessing the spirit realm in ways that are outside the parameters of the Bible and, and therefore, outside, therefore can be considered dangerous. And really, kingdom people should, should refrain from all that kind of activity. Having said that, let me say this. I think it is at least equally as dangerous and maybe even more common that people throw out the baby with the bathwater and rule out the spiritual realm altogether out of fear. They don't want anything to do with the spirit realm. They block the spirit realm. They don't want to access the spirit realm at all. 
And the minute we do that, we've now consigned ourselves to the pr prison of secularity, the prison of the natural material world. We'll live inside of this, this bubble of the physical world and nothing in the spiritual world is going to be real to us. We may theoretically still believe in God and believe in the Holy Spirit and yada, 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 but what we're going to experience is real if we're just always controlling every one of our thoughts and, and ruling out uh, at all accessing the spirit realm. Uh, then what we'll experience is real is the physical realm and not the spirit realm. What's tragic about that is the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be a people who are very much, who have collapsed that division between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. But, but we, we, we are people who uh, live in the spirit realm as much as in the physical realm. For example, the Bible tells us we're supposed to pray. Well, that's accessing the spiritual realm. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to be open to hearing things from God. We're supposed to be open to God talking to us and, and giving us visions and giving us words and directing our, our path. And that presumes, it presupposes that we're open to the spirit realm. Not in ways that are outside the biblical parameters, but rather within, within the constraints that God's given to us. We're supposed to be very in tune with what's going on in the spirit realm and governed by that. The other thing is that not only is it permissible, but it's commanded. That, we're, that we access regularly the spiritual realm. In fact, as you, we've seen throughout this animated series, we're supposed to access the spiritual realm by focusing on Jesus, opening up our mind and heart that's been freed by the Holy Spirit. The veil's been lifted, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, and now we can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ with our spiritual eyes, and that's how we're transformed. Not only is this permitted, but this is commanded. Not only is it commanded, but it's the key to transformation. And, 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 and so it, it, with regard to that, there's no room not only for danger, there's, there's actually a call to be passionately invested in using all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your imagination in accessing the spiritual realm by focusing on Jesus and encountering the living God in a powerful and real way. And if that's an ongoing concern for some folks here or listening through podcasts, I encourage you to listen or maybe re-listen to the first couple messages in the Animate series which was all about laying down this foundation uh, on the use of the imagination. One other thing I'll just say, and, and, and it's this. While I think it is important to be aware of the demonic in the spirit realm and aware to be, uh, important to be aware of the devil, some people give the devil way too much credit and give demons way too much credit and they live in fear. And However powerful demons, and the demonic and the devil are, they are nothing compared to our Father, and our Father is good, and our Father is great, and our Father loves to bless, and our Father will not mislead us. Jesus said this. Listen to this very carefully. If this is a, a concern that you have, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and, it, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have an egg? We'll give him a scorpion. Here, Johnny, try this. <laughs> no! That'd be pretty sick. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Is he, here's, God is good. We, at some point, you've got to trust God. You've got to trust the character of God. You've got to trust the power of God. If you're seeking God, you're, you want to know God better, you're asking for the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and, 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 and to, to, to help you encounter the living God in a concrete, tangible, viable way. He's not going to turn you over to demons. You're asking for the Holy Spirit. He's not going to give you a bunch of spiritual scorpions. Now, if you're out there dabbling to satisfy the, your occultic curiosity, you're on your own. But if your heart's desire is to know God, encounter God, and be transformed by God, and behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, you're talking to God the Father there, and he doesn't respond to his children when they're asking things by giving them scorpions. So you can trust God. He's not going to mislead you or, or misguide you. Yeah, your brain may do funny things still, but, but, but you don't have to worry uh, obsessively about this, this influx of the demonic realm. Surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit, to God, and let him take you places you would never go on your own. All right, second question. I love this one. Since many people are convinced that what they hear, see, and sense in their imagination is from God when it's obviously not, how can I ever be certain that what I'm hearing, seeing, or sensing is from God? Lisa asked that question back there. 
In fact, a number of people asked it. This is just the way she phrased it, more or less. Look, at the given here is this, and we all probably know this, that there are people out there who claim to hear from God and see things from God and sense things from God, and they're just crazy. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of crazy people out there. <laughs> and, um, it, yeah, they're certain that what they're getting is from God, and so, look, at if they're certain but wrong, how can we be sure that we're hearing from God? I'm really sympathetic to this question. The world I live in, folks, is one where I, I get, and God bless every one of them, I get a lot of people with words, visions, uh, senses about what God's will is for my life. Here's what God's telling me about you, I hear. And uh, I am really careful to not just sort of cavalierly dismiss all of it because for all I know it might be, but I always tell them, okay, here's the deal. Here's the working arrangement. I will now pray and ask God, but God's going to have to like tell me very obviously that this is right because otherwise it just doesn't seem like it, 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 it lands. Unless there is once in a while there's an immediate confirmation, but oftentimes it's something that's way out of left field and God's going to have to like, I'm talking parting the Red Sea, open the sky kind of thing to, to convince me that this is actually true. But some of it is just sort of obviously them. Uh, you know, God bless them. Maybe they need medication. You know, who knows? But, but it's, it, it's, I'm quite certain it's not of God. The, the, my, my, my first church that I ever pastored, I was an interim pastor. Never wanted to be this, uh, but it was just sort of was landed to me when I was in grad school. And so I'm the past, interim pastor of this church. My second week as interim pastor at the end of the service. And you got to know it's a Pentecostal church. And so in the Pentecostal church, anybody can stand up at any time and say, thus says the Lord. And everybody has to take him seriously which convinced me that this is a bad policy. <laughs> if you've got a group of more than 30 people or so, uh, you write it out and submit it to leadership because it gets really nasty sometimes if you don't do that. So this person stands up at the end of the service. I'm a newbie, you know. I, I'm, I'm nervous as giving the sermon. He stands up and says, Thus says the Lord, and I don't even remember most of what he said, but I do remember the punchline. Well, God bless him, his name was Eric. He said, that he was now the fourth person of the Trinity. What? <laughs> Say what? Well, immediately you know it's not of God because he got the math wrong. Dude, it'd be the quaternity if you're involved, right? So, <laughs> proof number one. But then, you know, as the ushers are running down to help this delightful man out of the service, he says that he has caught the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit conspiring against him with the devil. Uh, and he fired them. <laughs> I didn't know it was an employment deal, but yeah, he fired them. So now he alone was the one true God, and, and he was going to send a flood or something as, he's, as the ushers are taking, them out the door, taking him out the door. And then there's this sort of a real kind of embarrassing silence. <laughs> like, I want to welcome all the visitors to our very normal church. <laughs> Come back next week. Who knows what's going to happen next week? <laughs> Maybe I'm the next guy. To... Anyways, but see... The thing was, you know, this guy was a nice guy. He just needed medication. Uh, but he was certain, he was certain that what he was getting was from God. And I am perfectly certain that what he was getting was not from God. Might have been some demonic stuff involved in that, or maybe it's just craziness, but it wasn't from God. So the question is a legitimate one. And some of people who come from, like, you know, kind of radical, charismatic backgrounds might. I mean, there's a lot of good that happens there. Wonderful stuff. Move of the Spirit. Freedom. We need a little more of that, I think. But uh, sometimes if you come from that background, you have seen I mean, everything just becomes a word and a knowledge and a picture and a vision and a, and a this or a that. And people who come out of that kind of background got buzzers about it. I've had it happen here where in a worship service I might say or someone else might say, I'm sensing the Lord is leading us. And I know that there'll be some people in the congregation or down uh, po uh, podcasting who, who will have buzzers activated about that. Oh no! You know, because they associate it with all this flakiness. Sometimes they associate it with abuse. Some of us have been in backgrounds where the, the, the thus says the Lord becomes an abusive way to manipulate things. The way to shut down an argument. You're having a debate about something? Well, I'm hearing from God, and God's telling me this. And it's really just, they're just giving divine authority to their opinions. And then there are those people, God bless them, unsurpassable worth and all that, of course. But these folks, they have no critical neuron in the brain to... No, I, really, I'm serious. Everything they think is God. You haven't met some of these folks. Everything they think, everything they feel, everything they see, everything they hear is God. And it's like, is there any part of you that is not God? 
So in the light of that, it's really easy to just sort of like call into question everything. Well, gosh, they're hearing from God and all that kind of stuff. How do I know that what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, what I'm sensing is really of God when I'm sure that what they're hearing, seeing, and sensing is not of God? Let me make three quick points here. Number one, again, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, God bless them. Some people are crazy. God bless them. Some people, you know, maybe they know it, maybe they don't know it, but they manipulate with, with getting words and visions. You know, some people just get kind of carried away with this. God bless them. But there, there are people like that. But that doesn't mean that healthy people can't and shouldn't hear, see, and sense things from God. The way to correct abuse and sickness is not to get rid of the thing altogether, but to bring a healthy version of it around. To, to, to throw the baby out with the bathwater, that is very much like saying, look, it, since some people think they're in love when they're really not, I'm not going to ever trust my feeling in love. Think about it. Or since there are some people who say they love you, but really they're just, just trying to get you in the sack, then I'm never going to believe that anyone really loves me when they say it. That's not good reasoning. That's not healthy. That's not a healthy way to proceed forward. Or it's like saying, since there are some people who really abuse the Bible, quote verses to shame people and condemn people, therefore I'm never going to quote the Bible or listen to anyone else who does. No, that's not the healthy, sane way to proceed forward. Uh, the, 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 way, the sane way to proceed forward and the way the Bible proceeds forward is to say, look it, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it means you have to have a kind of a critical testing sort of a, a thing going on. I'll say more about that in a second. Number two, we're supposed to hear, see, and sense things from God. In fact, folks, as non-Western as, and as potentially flaky as this might strike some people, the biblical norm is that we're supposed to be seeing, hearing, and sensing things from God all the time. We're, we're, we're supposed to always be open to the Spirit of God communicating to us. Jesus said, for example, my sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. Sheep are supposed to be listening to the good shepherd. Not just once in a while, but, but whenever the shepherd says, hey, sheep, go this way, we're supposed to be going th 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 that way. We're supposed to live our lives in submission to the good shepherd. That's what good sheep do. We are to be the body of Christ, the Bible says. The body is only a functioning body to the extent that it's listening moment by moment to the head. The head is Jesus Christ. The minute, you know what it's like when your foot falls asleep? It's pretty uh, not functional. You know, you just, it just doesn't work very well. Uh, if any part of your body stops listening to, to the head, you got problems. What we have in America is kind of a Western secular church where 99.999999% of what we do and think and feel is our own doing, and we just sort of shut the whole thing out altogether. Very rarely do people do something that they themselves didn't plan on doing or reason in their own brain that they thought it was doing. So what we have is a body that's not really listening to the head. That's not a functional body. The norm in the Bible is for the body, the fingers, the, the mouth, the eyes, the feet. Whatever role we play as a member in the body of Christ, we're to be listening moment by moment to what the head wants to tell us. And when he says, go here, we go here. When he says, go there, we go there. Another analogy the Bible uses is, is, is that of the military. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that the good soldier doesn't become so involved in, in civilian or mundane affairs that he forgets that his main job is to please his enlisting officer. Wherever you're stationed, remember that you're a soldier in the kingdom of God and your main job is to be listening to uh, your captain who might tell you to go here or go there. I know whatever plans you have, he might say, fine, but you know what, right now, forget those plans. Here's what I want you to do. We're to be people who listen to what we, to, to, who are in touch with hearing from God, seeing things from God, sensing promptings of the Spirit and who are willing to obey. The Bible talks about how we can be given a, wor a word of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 12, or a word of knowledge. God can sometimes download stuff into our brain that we ourselves didn't come up with. And that's how he directs our paths. Supernatural stuff. That's what I meant earlier when I said we're supposed to live our life intersecting with the spirit realm. Because that's where the Holy Spirit wants to be moving us, impacting us, directing our paths, and things of that sort. And, and, and when we start doing that, folks, here's where it gets really interesting. The things of God can really start getting interesting when we're listening. Because now things can happen that otherwise would never have happened. Now God can seize opportunities to have his body do things. This last week, my wife and I were, were uh, talking with a guy over some issues. Um, and at one point, my, my wife just said, you know what? I think we should just pray. We're just, she felt a little prompting here. Enough discussion. 
We hadn't solved anything, but he just felt like, you know, we, we should just pray. So we started praying. And the minute we started praying, God showed up. He does that once in a while, doesn't he? And in the span of 20 minutes of prayer, it was just really clear that we accomplished more clarity and healing in that 20 minutes of prayer than we could have accomplished with three days of talking. Sometimes, if we're listening, the Holy Spirit might just say, shut up and pray. Uh, and God knows exactly how to lead you and guide you if you're listening on what to pray about. And once in a while, zingers will get in there and, and kingdom healing happens. You find, if you're willing, that there'll be times where you have to stop what you're doing and God will say, notice this person or go here or pray about that. And, and once in a while, you'll find what we call kingdom coincidences happening where things just sort of seem to fall into place. And now the Christian walk gets interesting. So I encourage us to be open to listening to what we see, sense, and hear. But at the same time, not everything that we see, sense, and hear is of God. Certainly not everything that other people see, sense, and hear is of God. Which leads to my third point. The Bible says that we're to test the words and visions and promptings. Uh, we're, not, we're, we're to be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to us and to others to us all the time. But we're never to be gullible, uncritical. We're to test. Testing words and prophetic words and visions and whatever, that's not a sign of unbelief. That's just a sign that you're smart and biblical and rational and sane. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. This fiery spirit wants to burn away some stuff. Don't quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. That's one of the ways you put out the Spirit. If you throw the baby out of the bathwater, you're putting out the fire of the Spirit. Don't quench the, spirit, the burning fire. Don't throw them out. Don't treat them with contempt. Don't look down on them or poo-hoo them. Rather... Hold on to what is good. Test them all. Hold on to what is good, but reject whatever is harmful. There's this, this turning. If there's any question about what you're getting in your imagination or what someone else is getting in their imagination, you test it. Ask the question, does it, is this consistent with the character of Jesus? Is this consistent with biblical teaching? If we act on this, will it likely bear kingdom fruit? With significant words or pictures, I encourage you to submit it to other people, people that you do life with. We're, most of the teachings of the Bible presuppose that we're in community with others. So seek the wisdom of others. Help, have others pray about it. Test all things. If it looks like it could be harmful, set it aside. If it's beneficial, consistent with the Bible, consistent with the character of Christ, I encourage you to act on it. You may not be certain that it's of God. In fact, I'll tell you, I, I'm hardly ever certain that something is of God. Hardly ever. Hardly, hardly ever. But if it's consistent with the character of Christ, consistent with biblical teaching, and will bear kingdom fruit, then the worst case scenario is I'm operating out of my best intuition. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. The best case scenario is that this is really the Lord directing things, and I might just be, you know, now a functioning finger in the body of Christ doing what I'm called to do. So I encourage you to boldly dare sometimes to uh, set aside your plans. Listen to what, to what God is saying. In fact, cultivate a mindset that's always listening. Sometimes you may look flaky, but who cares? Normality is way overrated. Uh, now you're really, think about this. When you do stuff that you wouldn't have done had the Lord not told you to do it, now he really is the functioning Lord of your life. To the degree that we block him out, la, 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 we're doing our own thinking, our whole thought processes, our own doing, our, our, our day is carried out by our plans. To the extent that we're doing that, we're going la, 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 to God, we're not listening. To that degree, well, he's sort of Lord of our life, we've surrendered our life to him, but he's not Lord of this moment, he's not Lord of this day. So ask yourself the question, when was the last time you did something just because you felt spontaneously in the moment led to do it? There ought to be times where we can look back and say, okay, that was, that was something I, I, I didn't plan on doing. I just felt crazy in the moment, and God kind of led me in that direction. I encourage you to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Keep your walkie-talkie on, good soldiers. Sheep, keep on listening to the good shepherd. Uh, body, keep on listening to the head on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. We're supposed to be getting words and pictures and senses all the time. And now the third question. A number of people asked in different ways something like this. And this taps into a new element of the animate thing that we hadn't dealt with before, and so I want to dwell on this a little bit. I feel like I'm limiting God, as one person put it. 
if I only use cataphatic prayer and focus my mental picture of God exclusively on Jesus? Isn't apophatic prayer better at helping us experience God's transcendence? Uh, okay, first let's clarify the terms. Cataphatic prayer is the traditional word for imaginative prayer. It was, it, it, it's where you pray with, uh, you're intentionally focusing on images in your imagination. And it also included using visual aids like stained glass windows and other things to help inspire the imagination. That was cataphatic spirituality in the church tradition. You find it all the way back. The other kind of traditional prayer was called apophatic spirituality. And this is where you intentionally get rid of all images in your mind. Because the belief is that to experience God deeply, uh, God's transcendence, you, you can't limit him by any sort of mental or physical images. And so you want to clear, clear your mind to experience the transcendence of God. And by transcendence of God, these folks mean things like just the fact that God is infinite, uh, God, is, God is beyond all of our concepts, God is you know, just uh, a, bigger than you can possibly conceive, great, uh, other than the way we think about things in this world. Now, there was always in the church tradition a tension between advocates of the cataphatic or imaginative prayer and advocates of the apophatic or imageless prayer. Always a tension there. Generally speaking, church leaders and educated people tended to prefer apophatic prayer. That's why you find more written about it than cataphatic prayer. Many of these folks were... Uh, embracing a view of God that I would argue was at least somewhat platonically influenced. And as I've mentioned in previous messages, one of the things that Plato brought to Christian theology, somewhat unfortunately, is that you de they define God's transcendence strictly in terms of how God is not like anything in this world. And so it was, it was called the via negativa. They, they negated everything in this world and said that's what God is like. And uh, uh, because of that view of transcendence, they, they believed that it was it was at least disadvantageous, if not absolutely wrong, to ever mentally envision God in any way. Uh, it tended to be that the masses of people, however, preferred cataphatic spirituality. And now we could say it's because that's the way the brain is actually wired. We think with images. And uh, so there's always this tension. Sometimes fights broke out about this. I mean, just disputes. It never became like a central dispute in the church tradition, but it was always sort of at the parameter. Uh, I was last year reading a book by John Cassian. You, you probably have read this book, Chris. Uh, it, it, it's called Conferences. Uh, and he was a monk in the 4th century uh, who would advise other monks. Uh, this is the, during the age of the Desert Fathers and things like that. And Conferences is all about his conferences with these monks about prayer and his reflections on prayer. John Cassian. And see, this shows you how, what kind of boring stuff I read. This is what I love. And uh, in, in, in this book, I came across a dispute that happened in the 4th century. Now, hang with me here. I know that I'm indulging myself here. I love church history. It bores most people. But this one's really interesting and informative, I promise. Hang with me, okay? In Egypt, it happened in the 4th century that some of these church leaders who were influenced by Plato, they were called the Originists because they were followers of St. Origen, who was very influenced by Plato. Uh, and um, they decided that it was idolatry to, to pray with the imagination. They're like, there's some people today who, who hold this view. And so they wanted to crack down on it. We got to stamp this out. So they went to the monasteries and they went to the, uh, these monks and they said, no more using your imagination. We don't want you to picture Jesus or picture anything uh, in prayer or, or, or Bible reading. No, because God's too transcendent for any of your images. And it caused an uproar all over the place. Which tells you, by the way, that this stuff about using the imagination in prayer isn't new stuff. This has been going back, along with the controversy around it, all the way to the beginning. Caused an uproar. Uh, Cassian uh, reports one particular monk who just had a breakdown over this. His name is Serapion. And when they forbid him to use his imagination, and remember, these monks are very obedient. They'll listen to the abbot. So the abbot says no more imagination. They submit to him. And then Serapion said this, Alas, what a wretched man that I am. They have taken away my God from me, and I have now none to lay hold of. And whom to worship and address, I know not. This guy was freaking out. He probably was a very visual person, and as many of us are, I am certainly this way. If you tell me to think about my wife but don't picture her, well, I can't think about my wife. 
I, I, try, I can't think about Jesus without picturing Jesus. That's just the way my brain works, and so it is for about 40% of the population. So this guy's saying, how on earth am I supposed to pray to four blank walls, a blank screen, to take away the images is to take away the life and the power and everything we've been talking about in this Animate series. And so he's saying, this is going to make an atheist out of me. And a lot of monks were saying the same thing. He understood the role, the important role of imagination. Now here's the thing. This question, I think, reveals, we're about to enter a historical moment here where this congregation right here and right now and all who are listening through podcasts, we're going to do something in history that, to the best of my knowledge, has not been adequately done, and that is we're going to get over this controversy right now. It ends now. Amen? We're going to end it right now. Are you, are you ready? You ready? It's going to be historical right now. All right. There really didn't need to be this controversy between the cataphatic and apophatic prayer. It didn't need to happen. Because the truth is, as this questioner was, 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 was saying, we need both. We need both. Uh, both have a, an important role to play in a healthy kind of spirituality. We've been looking at cataphatic spirituality the last six weeks, but we also need to pay attention to other forms of spirituality, including apophatic spirituality. Let me say two things about this. Number one, we can only envision God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the only place where God is visual. And this is what cataphatic prayer is all about. We can only envision God in Jesus Christ, but having said that, we must envision God in Jesus Christ. He is God incarnate. We can't envision God any other way than, than, than as, as Jesus Christ. So in John 1, 8, 18, for example, 1, 18, uh, John says, no one has seen God at any time. No, God is infinite. He is transcendent. He's beyond all of our concepts. We'll say more about that a little bit later on. No one has seen God. You can't visualize him at all. But the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Now look at the paradox there. God as he is in and of himself, infinite, transcendent, beyond all our concepts. You can't visualize it. You can't, no one's seen God. But Jesus Christ, who is himself God, has made him known. God is so great that even though in his own nature he's invisible, he makes himself visible in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in Jesus Christ, we see, we experience concretely, finite, the will and the character of God in his innermost heart. That's why Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. One of the most important verses in the New Testament, I think. Don't look anywhere else to find out what the Father's like. Look at me. Uh, so often people drive a wedge between the Father and the Son, and Jesus is nice, but the Father's mean. But Jesus is saying, no, if you want to know what the Father's like, and all of his great transcendence, all of his grandeur, and his infinitude, no, look to the place where he's made himself known, and that is me. If you see me, you see the Father. That's why the Bible says that there's one word of God, and that's Jesus Christ. There's one image of God, and that's Jesus Christ. There's one perfect expression of God, and that's Jesus Christ. The Father doesn't have a different word than Jesus. Jesus is the word of the Father. There's not three images of God. There's one. The only picture we can have of the Father is in Jesus Christ. The only picture we have of the Spirit is in Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Godhead. Paul says in Colossians 2.9 and also in 1.19. God's downloading verses in my brain right now. Uh, it, it, the fullness of the Godhead was dwelt in him in bodily form. Everything you know about God is made concrete in the person of Jesus Christ. That's so why Paul says that we should behold the glory of God, the infinite God, the transcendent God, but we behold his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. There's not three faces, there's one face. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, John 14, 6, and all over the place, we go to the Father, Colossians 2, 18, another one. I never said any of these in these previous verses, uh, previous uh, services. They're just coming to me right now. Colossians 2, 18. In the Spirit, we have access to the Father through the Son. The only way to know the infinite Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the way, singular, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father, knows the Father except through Him. Okay, so God is made visible in Jesus Christ, and that's the only place where God is visible. Our, all, this is why cataphatic prayer is centered on Jesus, beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Cataphatic spirituality, very important. Serapion was right. You take away that, we're in trouble. Having said that, Here's my second point. While we can't envision the Father or the Spirit, we, there's no concrete image of them, 
we can experience and we should experience the Father and the Spirit in non-visual ways. And here's where apophatic spirituality comes in. Uh, I can't envision the Father apart from Jesus Christ. I should never do that. That's where people get in trouble. They, they, they end up driving a wedge between the Father and the Son. No, no, I like what Irenaeus said in the second century. Jesus is the visibility of the Father, and the Father is the invisibility of the Son. Uh, keep that, that in mind. Uh, the, 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 Jesus is the visibility, the face, the skin of the Father. So I can't envision the Father other than as Jesus Christ. But having said that, I can experience the transcendence of God in other ways, as long as the character is the same as Jesus. For me, it often happens when I'm looking at the stars. The stars have always just struck me with awe, just the infinitude of, the magnitude of the universe. I think if you give that any kind of deep thought, I, it's hard not to just be overwhelmed by the awesomeness of God. It used to strike a little bit of terror in me. And what strikes terror in you when you begin to think, man, the God who has spoken into existence the billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of galaxies with billions of stars and the expansiveness of space and the God who never began, uh, that God has all this power and could do anything he wants with me. That would strike dread in you unless you remember, and this is why it's so important to remember, that that same God in all of his greatness is revealed, his character is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. As great as he is in size, at least as great as he is in his love. But you look at the stars and you see the awesomeness and incredible nature of God. When I, when I sometimes look at the ocean, on vacations I sometimes just love to, if we're, if, if we're by an ocean, I like to get out there in the morning and just sit and look at the, the endlessness of the ocean where I can't see a horizon. And it pulls my mind and pulls my heart in the direction of infinitude. It's like God is the ultimate etc., etc., etc. However big you conceive of the Father, he's greater than that. And I can't picture that but I can sense the awesomeness of it. And it's good for me to sense the awesomeness of it. Or sometimes looking at mountains, majestic mountains, anything that makes you feel like a little ant next to you know, a skyscraper, that's good. Because it, it, it contrasts you with the infinitude of God. Mountains just put this awe in me. Sometimes music does this, certain majestic music. Um, and sometimes it just happens, you know, where all of a sudden you're praying or maybe you're just walking down the street and all of a sudden you're aware of the infinitude of everything around you. In fact, I find it really helpful to try to keep, cultivate this mindset as I'm practicing the presence of God, being aware of God's presence moment by moment. One of the ways I do that is by reminding myself that any point I would go out on, it never ends. It's, I, I am in the context of infinity. And that just sort of creates in me uh, a sense of God's awesomeness, his greatness, his magnificence. So I can't picture the Father, neither can you. We shouldn't. You can picture Jesus Christ. That's God's character and, and will. But, but we can experience in other ways just the, the transcendence of God. Same thing is true with the Holy Spirit. Can't picture the Holy Spirit. We can symbolize him as a dove. But I hope that you know he's not really a dove. Uh, you know, a bird. Uh, the ultimate big bird. No, no, don't. It's a symbol. You can't picture the Holy Spirit, but there are times, I hope where we're open, as we talked about earlier, where you can sense, you feel the Holy Spirit. You can hear the Holy Spirit. He directs you. Sometimes you just sense his love, or you sense his comfort, or you sense his power, you sense his peace. In a fellowship, you sense the bonding of the Holy Spirit. And so there's other ways of experiencing God. They're all consistent with the character must be the same as, as found in Jesus Christ. He's always the the key, the center of, of our information about what God is like. But we experience the transcendence and the closeness of God in different ways. The main problem that the apophatic folks made, as we're having this historic moment here, uh, the, the, the main problem I think they made is that they thought, they really thought mistakenly, that when they prayed without images, they were praying without their imagination. And they weren't. The imagination isn't simply about seeing things in your brain, as we've said throughout this whole series. The imagination is thinking with all five senses, and that's the only way we ever think. So it's what you see, yes, but it's also what you hear and what you sense. It can be olfactory, what you smell, what you taste. All the senses are used. The folks who, are, who practice ap ap apophatic prayer simply didn't use the visual part of the imagination, but they did use the kinesthetic, the sense part of the imagination, and the hearing part of the imagination. 
But all that is to say this, we need both. And I encourage us to be practicing both. Times of prayer when we see Christ and see who we really are in Christ. Times where we're listening and, uh, to, and, and, and attending to the images that are in our brain. But also times where we're just, we contemplate the unending infinitude of the beautiful, magnificent greatness of God the Father. Uh, all of that is necessary for a whole relationship with God. We focused this whole series on Jesus Christ and on having a picture of Jesus Christ and engaging with God in concrete ways. And it's been so important. And I hope I, and I've gotten words that it's revolutionized some people's prayer life. But I want to end now by going in a different direction and helping us experience the transcendence of the Father. It's much harder to do in a group context like this, let alone through podcasting, but I want to try. I have found it helpful when I would contemplate the stars especially to do imaginative exercises, to just get my brain to go farther and farther and farther out. Even as a kid, I used to lay on the ground and I would tie an imaginary string between me and a star and pretend like that was a close star. And then I would flip the string over to connect to another star behind it so to double the distance. And then I would double that and then double that. And I would just do this imaginative game which, which just created a sense of awesomeness. The, the, I've always been fascinated with the sheer size and the age of this universe we live in. And one of the ways, the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And so sometimes by contemplating the stars and the magnitude of the universe, it stretches our awareness of God's greatness, his infinitude. It's always important as you consider the sheer unimaginable size of the universe that however big the universe is and science is telling us it's getting bigger all the second all the time but it's a mere freckle on god's nose all right it's just it's microscopically small and you are microscopically small within the context of it we're just little momentary electrons in this whole massive thing and it's so important that as we realize this feel the smallness but remember the character of the one who's great is revealed on Calvary. So your smallness next to his greatness doesn't minimize his love for you. It rather intensifies it to infinity. The infinite God, unending in size, if you will, is infinite in his burning love towards you. Now we're going to do a little exercise here. I'm going to start with a video. A video that just helps us get impacted by the sheer size of this uh, universe we live in. Let it impact you. It's called The Power of Ten. Let's watch it. Since the universe is a big place, we could easily get lost. So, we'll need signposts to give us a sense of scale. The acrobat's ring is one meter wide. The crowd is ten times wider, ten meters across larger by one power of 10. Now, with every step, every ring, we travel 10 times farther from Venice, and our view of the universe is 10 times wider. The 100-meter ring surrounds St. Mark's, and 1,000 meters, one kilometer, the city center. As our speed increases, four steps, four powers of ten, reveal all the islands of Venice, the Adriatic Sea, and the mainland of northern Italy. Six steps take in Europe from central Germany across Italy to the Balkans. And soon we can see the entire planet our home in space. Eight steps on our outward journey, eight powers of ten, and we pass the farthest reaches of human travel, the moon.
If we visualize the paths that the nine planets take in their orbits around the sun, at 13 steps from St. Mark's Square, the entire solar system comes into view. And with 15 steps, 15 powers of 10, we can see that our sun is just another star. From here on, our voyage will be measured in light years, the distance light travels in an entire year. Only now do we fly past our nearest neighbor stars, almost five light years away. The same journey at the speed of today's spacecraft would last 100,000 years. As we cross the perpetual night, our voyage takes us up and out of our sun's neighborhood near the edge of a great pinwheel of stars. actually a spiral galaxy and our own Sun is just one of a hundred billion stars in it. At this immense scale, 23 powers of 10, each shining light we see is not a star but an entire galaxy composed of countless stars. Astronomers have discovered that the galaxies are flying away from one another. The universe is expanding. Our own galaxy and all the others form clusters and superclusters of stupendous size, hundreds of millions of light years across. And here, about 15 billion light years from Venice, we approach the outer limits of the visible universe. What lies beyond this cosmic horizon, we cannot see and do not know. great God we serve. The heavens declare the glory of God. Would you close your eyes for a moment? The heavens declare the glory of God. Just for this moment, represent yourself as though you're looking at yourself from the ceiling of this auditorium. Or if you're listening through podcasts, whatever is right above you. Here you are sitting in this auditorium, which seems rather big. But now you zoom out, just as we saw in this video. Start zooming out. You see the entire building. As you zoom out faster, you see all of Maplewood, and then all the Twin Cities fading be before you as you're pulling out further, getting a God perspective on things. You see various regions around the Twin Cities, and then you see all of Minnesota, the whole Midwest, and as you zoom out, you see the entire United States, and then the entire Earth, and it fades from you. You pass the moon, and the Earth becomes a little ball, and finally disappears. Passing other planets, you're just zooming out. Finally, you see the whole solar system before you. And as you continue to zoom out, eventually start to see our entire galaxy with a hundred billion suns like our sun. And it begins to be, you see it as a ball and it begins to fade from you. And now just let the Holy Spirit guide you as you see how even that galaxy so vast is simply a little dot next to billions and billions of other dots, each representing a hundred billion stars or more each galaxy is in their own right and sense the magnitude of this as you go farther and farther and farther and now from this perspective where you just see a montage of 
stars, galaxies in front of you, white dots. Realize how very brief, how very myopic your perspective here is on earth. Notice how small your life is, how short it is, how small your problems are when you've zoomed out and you share a little bit of the perspective of the Creator over all of this. Experience the freedom of that. And now realize that all of this unfathomable complexity and vastness is held in the palm of the Creator's hand. And you are held in the palm of the Creator's hand. And just sense the awesomeness of a God who could speak this into existence and who holds it in existence every moment as he holds you in existence every moment. The heavens declare the glory of God, the wonders of his creation. And now very quickly, zoom back the opposite direction. You're zooming towards Earth. You go past the billions and billions of galaxies. And you come to our galaxy. You go into that. And you're going past all the different suns. You're zooming in. You're zooming in. You come to our solar system. You zoom in. You come to the Earth. You come to the United States. You come to Minnesota. You come to Maplewood. And now here you are in this auditorium or wherever you might be sitting little tiny tiny you who exists for a momentary second in the total scheme of things who's so microscopically small in the total scheme of things next to the greatness of God and now remind yourself that the one who holds you in existence is not only great in size not only infinite in magnitude but he's infinite in his love and therefore he loves you as though you were the only thing he ever created he expressed his view of you on Calvary your smallness does not make you unimportant to him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords your smallness rather just gives him the opportunity to reveal the greatness of his love that you were worth him becoming another microscopic human and dying a God-forsaken death on the cross. You are surrounded every moment by infinite greatness, infinite transcendence, and infinite love. Let the greatness of his magnitude press in on you as though you are at the bottom of the ocean. And the pressure against you is the pressure of his perfect, unwavering, unending, unqualified love for you. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty God. We are overwhelmed by your presence, overwhelmed by your magnitude, overwhelmed by your greatness, overwhelmed by your love. You have the God of wonders beyond all galaxies, and yet you died for each of us on Calvary. We're overwhelmed by your greatness. Open our hearts and minds and ears to live in the context of your greatness, to always be receiving the greatness of your love, to live our life surrendering to you our little tiny petty problems, including the problem of our life itself. But it's so small in the grand scheme of things. And help us to live in that freedom. I'd like to ask the prayer team to come forward. And if you're here this morning and want to pray about anything, please come forward and pray with these folks. If you want to kneel, you can feel free to kneel. Or if you want to sit and just enjoy the music and consider the wonders of God and the greatness of God, feel free to do that. But Lord, as we close this service, we do it, God, thanking you for being a God who, in spite of the fact that you're infinitely great, you infinitely loved us. Help us to be aware of both. And to 
envision Jesus Christ in concrete ways, but to be experiencing the intimacy of the Spirit and the glory of the Father as we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.